Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Luna Lover, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded the Araqual people of the Bundjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I'm your host Jordana Levine and my microphone broke just as I sat down to record the intro to this episode. So I'm so sorry, the audio is going to be a little bit weird for the first maybe 15 minutes or 10 minutes um, and then it should be okay. And then my next episode, hopefully my new microphone will have arrived. I want to blame it on Mercury retrograde. I can't though because Mercury is very much going forward. I could blame it on Mars retrograde. It feels like that would probably make me feel better. So let's do that. Mars's fault, a false shower. All right, my loves, today is an interview episode, which is really exciting. It's with a very good friend of mine, Caitlin Katie. She is an author, meditation teacher, hope dealer, and wellness whiz. Her first book, Heavily Meditated, is a must read for anyone who has flirted with the idea of meditation or is a seasoned pro. Her new book, The Hope Dealer, is an incredible collection of musings to conjure hope and inspiration in your life. And that's where we start today's interview. Before we jump in, though, I just want to give you a little astrological overview for the week. There's a few notable things happening, and I thought we should talk about them. First of all, the sun is in Sagittarius, which should not come as a surprise if you listen to this podcast. So is Mercury and Venus. And if you want to know more about the energy of Sagittarius, listen to last week's episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. We also have Saturn, which is currently in Aquarius, forming a square with Mars, which is in Gemini. And as I mentioned earlier, Mars is currently in retrograde. Now, Mars is the warrior, the little pocket rocket, if you will. And Saturn is the disciplinarian, the principal. It's saying, hey, you, stop running in the halls. But the joke is on Saturn because Mars is in retrograde, so it's already slowed down. Well, you know what? I think the joke is actually on us because when something slow moving is forced to slow down, what happens then? Well, it probably feels like it's coming to a grinding halt. And if you're wondering what the something is, well, it's likely your determination and drive, which is what Mars governs. But we need to find the silver lining, right? So if plans or productivity have been halted, instead have a look at what the gifts can be 
in that pause. What fresh insights or perspectives do you have when life isn't rushing past at full throttle? Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is Mars was already going slow. Yeah. Saturn's come in and halted that even more. It might even be like if there's another way we want to look at it, because here's the thing with astrology, there's a zillion different ways to interpret the one aspect. But the other way we could look at Saturn squaring Mars in retrograde is whatever <laughs> whatever Mars retrograde brings up for you, however it wants to be like, hey, maybe look into this a little bit more or here's a little insight for you. Saturn will likely make it a hard lesson or a strict lesson or I'm not going to beat around the bush kind of lesson. Something to keep an eye on. We also have Mars opposite Venus, which sounds like something that these two might get up to all the time, but it's actually quite rare. It only happens every couple of years. Now, Mars is the planet of war. Venus, the planet of peace. Mars is masculine. Venus feminine. Mars is driven. Venus wants to go with the flow. Mars is retrograde in Gemini. And Venus, well, she's exploring, experiencing, traveling, philosophizing in Sagittarius. Yeah. So it's very opposing energies at the moment. How will this manifest? Likely in a little bit of friction, probs in relationships, but really in any kind of relating with others. The friction could be within yourself, but I don't know, my gut, which I mean, I don't know if you could trust it or not, but my gut is saying the friction is likely going to be over perspectives because this is a Gemini Sagittarius opposition after all. The nature of an opposition is to highlight things that stand in the way of the other or to shine a light on the necessity of having to make choices usually where you've been avoiding having to do so. So if we're looking for a silver lining <laughs> in all of this, um, Venus opposite Mars can help you get clarity on a current matter, most likely a Mars retrograde matter, I would say, probably in a close relationship, but maybe just within yourself. The only other thing I think think is probably worth mentioning is that Neptune is stationing direct this week. It's been retrograding since late June in the sign of Pisces. It's now moving forward through its home sign. So if you've been daydreaming, ruminating, fantasizing about something over the last five months, now is the time to get creative and put the wheels in motion to bring it to life. Neptune in Pisces is the perfect backdrop for some artful manifestation visualization, deep meditation, or exploring any kind of spiritual endeavor. It's also a very good time to have a look at putting some healthy boundaries in place, yeah? When you've got Neptune in Pisces, we can sort of float around and get very blurry about <laughs> where our boundaries lie. So it's really important when Neptune's moving forward through Pisces, yeah, get lost in your daydreams, visualize, fantasize, use that to conjure up creativity, but also just keep an eye on those boundaries. Yeah, little caveat. If you are keen to have your natal chart read by yours truly, there's only 
four spots left in December, I think. So it's filling up fast. Um, I've also got gift vouchers available if you think a reading might make a really good Chrissy present for a loved one. If you want to book in for a reading or grab a voucher, head to the show notes of this episode, or you can go directly to my website, jordanalevine.com forward slash readings. All right, let's jump into today's chat with my beautiful friend, Caitlin Katie. And if you enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with your friends and tag me at Jordana Levine and Caitlin at Caitlin Caddy, C-A-D-Y. Caitlin, welcome to Luna Lover, the podcast. I start every interview by asking uh, the sun, moon and rising of my guest. So can you share your primary triad with us? So my sun is Aries, my moon is Sagittarius, and my rising is Libra, but I actually didn't know my moon. I had never looked, I had to look that up. So thank you for that prompt because that's one I just, it's one that I, yeah, I had never paid attention to. Well, our moon, our moon sign's so important because it's, it's that classically it's like our emotional self, our soul self, but really it's like our inner psyche. It's the person we are on the inside that we function as like internally and not everybody gets access to that. But I was just saying to you before we started recording that you have very Sagittarian energy to me. So I wasn't, oh, I wasn't surprised to hear that you had a Sagittarius moon. Well, thank you. I love Sagittarius's in general. I tend to collect them. And so that I find that to be a compliment. Um, and it's, yeah, it's so interesting that we, you were just saying that we're entering Sagittarius. Yeah. So by the time this episode's out, it's Sagittarius season. And do you know much about Sagittarius energy? Well, not, a, I mean, a little bit only because like I, I live with a few, but tell me, drop knowledge on me. Okay. Well, they're, they're, they're the explorer. They're the adventurer of the Zodiac. They sort of fall into three archetypes and I think you're all three of them. So um, the first archetype is the gypsy. So the world traveler loves to explore the world, but also just likes to explore things. So topics, ideas, concepts, beliefs, laws, anything like that. The second archetype is the student and it's the student of life. So it's sort of like the experiential learner, always wanting to expand their knowledge, always wanting to learn new things, um, understand, understand, understand. That's Sagittarius. I just want to understand. And then the last archetype is the philosopher, which you are also that, searching for the meaning of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Jordan, you should like have a podcast about this or something. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you, don't you think? Yeah, it really does ring true. It's fascinating because I think um, being an Aries, like that's a pretty well-known sign. And I, I do have some Aries traits, but um, you're right. Like that does feel so much more like who I am on a deep, on a deeper level, like not on a, not on a superficial level that's so great thank you well that's okay but also mm -hmm. I think like when we're and and this is not an exact science but I think the more personal development work we do the more inner work we do the more our moon sign has an opportunity to show itself because 
we can really allow ourselves to identify with that part of us. And I mean, you do so much of that. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because I was, I was telling you before we started to record that I got my Vedic astrology chart done every year. Yeah. And there's a huge emphasis on moon signs in that. And again, it's one of those things where I found that, um, with most of the sort of like Western astrology charts I've had done, there's so much emphasis on the sun sign, or maybe that's just the way that we tend to extract it because it's like the quick, the quick sort of personality gauge. But well, what yeah, I found and it's, it's the horoscopes that end up in the magazines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where I found with Vedic astrology, what it, it was, it was like the deeper layers of who, who you are and like the path that you take and life. So for example, one of the, one of the things in my chart was like literally about um, being able to bring like spiritual concepts and specifically meditation into like down to earth. Literally, these are her words that she's saying to me. I'm like, girl, have you been on my website? (laughs) And she's, you know, she hadn't, like she didn't know who I was or anything. And it's just one of those things where you're like those deeper themes or those parts of yourself where you see it reflected in your chart and not a sort of like general personality way, but in a, like, these are the themes of my life and what I'm here, how I can be of service mm. and what I'm truly interested in and what I'm maybe naturally, you know, maybe gifted isn't the word that I would want to use, but just that maybe well, we have like, an aptitude for. Yeah. You know? And your talents. I mean, there's, you know, it all sort of comes down to the houses in which your signs and your planets fall in. And like our, our talents, for example, all sort of sit in our second house and our skill set, like the things that we're quite skillful at sort of fall in our sixth house, our, you know, affiliation with the spiritual, the unconscious mind falls in the 12th house. So yeah, I mean, there's so much that you can understand about yourself, the deeper you dive into your chart, but having not seen your chart or knowing your houses, I can just tell by your Libra ascendant which makes Venus your ruling planet. Did you know that? That's your chart ruler? Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know Caitlin, you might be familiar with her Instagram or her first book, her new book's coming out. That's what we're talking about today. Um, but you are very much about the aesthetic. Mm. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you feel that through Oh, everything? yeah. Like beauty is so important to me. Um, beauty in the world. Like, yes, it's what bring, I just, it just brings me joy. I think like beauty in the natural world, but also, um, just yeah, curating, curating imagery and whether it's an interior space or, you know, that's part of what I just absolutely love about making books is that you get this opportunity to, obviously I love to write, but with a book, you also have the opportunity of creating this sort of like immersive experience for people. And that, that I think enhances what is on offer in the book. I mean, luck, I've been lucky enough to work with Danny from Neverland Design on, on, you know, the design of the books. Um, And I feel like she just elevates, you know, I'll have an idea and then she just elevates it. She's so talented and amazing, but it is, it is this, it's super important to me. And, um, and my mom's an interior designer. So I grew up in beautiful spaces and, um, and yeah, I just, beauty is super important. Last night I was like making dinner and, you know, I have three kids and they're 
absolute mongrels, you know, like they're, they're not, not, they're actually angels, but go ahead <laughs> <laughs> at the dinner table. They are just like wild. And, but it's like, you know, it brings me so much joy to like put everything in beautiful on beautiful platters and, you know, plate them beautifully. And, you know, even though they get destroyed, as soon as I put them on the table, there's, you know, I just think there's something about slowing down and making life beautiful in all of the small ways that we can, that for me, just is kind of like what life is all about. Like if we're not making those daily rituals beautiful, then like, what's, what's the point? Well, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think for, for certain people who perhaps don't have a prominence of Venus in their chart, it's, it's, it's not a priority, right? But it's such a big part of your self-expression, I think, because it's not just your work. It's not just your books. It's your clothes and your presentation and your house and yeah, your everything. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It brings me joy. It does. It brings me joy. And um, I think that like something I've learned over time is like, I used to be someone who like saved things for a special occasion, you know, for example, like a dress. Like the good China. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> yeah. yes. Fully the good China or a dress, or my mom gave me a bracelet that was for my 40th this year that was, um, you know, given to her by her mother. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a really beautiful bracelet. And she saw me the other day, I was showing her my garden because I've got really gotten into like ro- growing roses. And I was showing her walking around and she saw I was wearing it. She's like, you're wearing it while you're gardening. And I was like, I don't take it off. Like, I love it. It brings me so much joy and it's so beautiful. I want to wear it all the time. And she's like, good for you. She's like, yeah. I was always too afraid. And I, I think that that's something that's made me yeah, just like enjoy every day a little bit more is like using the good china, like you wearing the good jewelry, wearing the nice dress. Like it's, it does. Yeah. I get it's not a priority for everybody, but it's something that I've learned to embrace. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to talk about this new book of yours, The Hope Dealer. So if anyone's watching the video, this is the cover. Um, I'm excited to talk about it a few in a a few different aspects of it because I feel like hope (laughs) is something we all need right now I think after the last few years hope and inspiration which is a big part of this book as well is something we've all sort of struggled to either um find again or rediscover we sort of got a little jaded perhaps Um, And I just want to sort of hear your take on how we can begin to sort of tap back into those feelings and of hope and inspiration again. Yeah, it's such a great, such a great question. I think it is so timely. And, um, you know, we were, you know, as, as friends, we chat about life often. And I think both of us have had, you know, pretty challenging past few years. And I don't think we're special in that way. I think most people have had some serious challenges and I think we are all just, yeah, ready for, ready for a a big dose of hope and joy. And I think what's important to remember is, uh, that we have to be conscious of what our inputs are. Right. So many of us are really conscious about like the quality of the food that we're eating but less of us are paying attention to sort of the quality of the 
visual, emotional, auditory inputs. And I don't just mean like what the quality is, like if we're watching like a good TV show. (laughs) If it's in high (laughs) definition. (laughs) Yeah, or like some versus something low budget. Um, (laughs) What I mean is like, what are the flavors or the emotional moods or vibes that it's throwing? Right. Ah, so, yeah. so like they talk about that in, in Ayurveda a lot, which is something I'm super interested in is like certain music and certain, you know, books and movies have different effects on, on our bodies and minds. And so I think that it can be after the, you know, three years where we've been fed a pretty solid diet of fear and division and um just just a lack of there's been an an utter lack of 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 hope I think it's more important now than ever to really uh pay attention to what what we're feeding ourselves because right you look at like algorithms they're designed to hook your attention right by companies that are profiting from your attention and the negative negativity bias that humans have is being leveraged and abused by these platforms, in my opinion. You know, there's, I'm sure everybody's sort of heard that um, babies stare longer at sad faces. And that sort of, did you know that? No. Yeah. Like if, ba- if babies are shown like a picture of a happy face or a picture of like a sad or upset face, the baby stares longer at the sad or upset face. And that perpet- that continues for us as adults. And so we have a negativity bias where we look longer on Facebook at the negative thing than we do at the positive thing. It's just the way that our brains are wired. And it makes sense when you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, right? However, when you have technology and media outlets that are abusing that, then you have to become even more protective of your energy. And I think there's a great book um, called Stolen Focus. I don't know if you've read it, but yeah. it's really interesting. And I really appreciated that book because um, the author, instead of just saying like, look, this is your attention problem is you not being disciplined enough. He's really takes a lot of time to sort of lay out how it's a cultural issue and it's a cultural issue that's been created by corporations So it's not just a personal failing when you can't pay attention or you can't choose what you're attending to. It's actually, uh, you know, you are being swept up in, in sort of a current of the culture. And I think that's important to sort of remember before, before we then take responsibility for ourselves is that it is hard. It's hard to avoid these, this sort of, you know, diet of negativity, but there are certain things that we can do, boundaries we can put in place to make sure that we're balancing, you know, what we're encountering just in the world with positivity. Yeah. And here's why I think it matters. It's not just about like feeding yourself like something positive, like looking at cute videos of cats and dogs and shit like that. It's <laughs> that's my algorithm by the way but yeah I love that for you. <laughs> mine, mine is like labradoodles doing <laughs> doing like hilarious people things um but you know it, it it has it has a bigger role than just like making us laugh and smile in the moment which I think is important but inspiration really is the thing that 
that offers us the spark we need to create change right so it stirs our imagination it it riles up those creative forces within us that can spur us into action and then change our lives so really inspiration is what is motivating us to create so whether that's you know art or writing or music or food or change within ourselves or change in the world around us inspiration really is the the thing that sustains us and empowers us to think and feel and act in new ways. Yeah. Where do you, where do you find your inspiration? Well, my kind of recipe is stillness, right? So we know I'm really big into meditation. So that daily stillness and silence is super important. I think a, to get quiet because we need to remember how to listen um, and not just receive like the onslaught of information every day, but actually to just be in silence and tune into the more subtle sort of voices of our, our higher self. But also I think inspiration moves through us and from the divine as a more subtle current, that sounds a little bit out there, but bear with me, we'll get there. Um, So I think that is a huge part, stillness and silence, just just, you know, creating that space and then reflection. So for me, journaling, um, is another huge practice. And then, and then giving myself inspiration in the form of, you know, prose or poetry that, um, inspires me or just uplifts me or, um, gives me a fresh perspective. So like John O'Donohue is, is one of my favorites, Mary Oliver, um, Pixie Lighthorse and um, David White, people like that really, uh, I love reading just even a few pages after I've meditated in the morning to just, it's just, just, it's like soul food, really. What do you think the purpose of hope is? I feel like we go through bouts of um, challenge or hardship um, and it's hard to access hope when there's been sort of no um, blueprint of it, you know, in the last however long you've been been in a challenging moment. But there's obviously like an evolutionary purpose to hope, right? Because if we were forever hopeless, how would we move forward in life? So what do, what do you see the purpose of hope as? one of the origins of the word hope is um, hopa and the definition at that time was confidence in the future. Mm. And so what you said is just so spot on. It's the sort of force that I think it's a form of inspiration. Hope is a form of inspiration and it's the force that inspires us, but also it's an invitation to trust. So I think hope is always rooted in a longing for positive change yeah, and the belief that that change is possible. So what's the difference? I mean, I think hope, therefore, I think hope is essential. I do. I really do think it's essential. And I think that it's, it's, it's not just, it's trust in the, in life and trust in ourselves. Mm. And I think what's interesting about that is Sometimes we look at hope as like a destination or we think of it as 
something we're waiting for, right? Like something good to happen. Yeah. But I think what sometimes we forget to notice is if we look back. So if you just look back on the last, say, 24 months of your life and look at what you've gotten through and notice how you have been resilient and how you have really shown strength and stability in the face of challenge and adversity. I think everyone can look back on the last 24 months and go, wow, I did an amazing job Mm. of getting through some really tough stuff and I'm still here. And that should give you a sense of trust in yourself. And that sense of trust in yourself should give you hope about the future. Because even if you didn't do it perfectly with none of us ever get it perfect, right? Like there's no such thing as perfect, but like, you're still here. You're still, you're still doing it. And I think that it's that sense of like, what it, what it, I don't know what's coming my way next, but I'm choosing to trust myself and I'm choosing to trust that this is the path that's going to be laid out for me and whatever happens I'm going to choose to be resilient and I'm going to choose to make them to make the most of it. And I'm going to really pay attention to whatever life throws my way so that I can use it as an opportunity for growth mm-hmm. rather than just something to suffer through. Yeah. On that, on that note, I really wanted to talk to you today about grief and mm-hmm. loss because I think they are, they're big parts of life. They're big parts of, um, you know, our rite of passage in life, but they are often moments when we're experiencing grief or loss, where we do find it really hard to trust in the bigger plan, trust in ourselves, even in our capacity to mm-hmm survive (laughs) you know so how how do we how do we move through moments like that and and what are the gifts that come out of challenges like grief and loss what I've noticed with grief and I mean just to sort of loop people in so in the last four years I lost my little brother and my dad and uh that really opened my eyes to I'd never lost you know sort of people that close to me before. And so it really opened my eyes to this whole other experience of life. And so what I've noticed is that when you go through things like that, when you, when you experience a loss, um, it opens your eyes to life in a different way. Mm -hmm. And though it is incredibly hard and it really rocks you to your core and it strips you down, when you emerge through it, you have a greater capacity for life, right? So what I mean by that is you not only have more empathy for other people and what they might be experiencing. And if you've experienced loss yourself, you know that it's the friends who have also experienced some kind of loss, that they're the ones that you want to, they're the ones that are holding space for you with the most grace and skill Yeah, when you lose someone or something. And so you have this, you have this increased capacity for humanness, which I think is just so beautiful. It really cracks you open. But I also think that, you know, grief also reminds us of like, what is really important in life, Mm -hmm. right? It humbles us. 
It inspires us to forgive people. It helps us release judgment of ourselves and others. And I think that it also powerfully reminds us of what sort of in the equation of life, like what matters and, and really it's love, you know, and I don't mean that in a sort of um, esoteric or like woo woo way. I mean, it's connection. It's our relationships with other people and a sense of creating a sense of belonging and how we made other people feel and how other people made us feel right. It's not about awards or money or things or a dress size or what we achieved or what was on our resume. It's, it's about how well you listened, how generous you were with your gifts, how patient, how grateful, you know, all, how many moments of connection you had. That's what I think I've, I've attuned to with a greater skill and care um, after going through loss. So I think, I guess for me, it's, you know, it is sort of a silver, it's, I'm always looking for the silver lining, but I think it also makes you more brave with your life. As in when you lose someone unexpectedly, you just realize uh, like, there's just no guarantees, you know? I mean, we all say that and we all know that, but when you actually lose something or someone you're like, oh, Mm. boom. Okay. I really feel that now. And it can make you want to just like crawl into a hole and like never love again. (laughs) But on the other hand, you're like, let's do this. Like, this is the one life I have. Let me make the most of it and be brave with this life. If someone's listening to this and they're in the depths of grief or loss, maybe it's a new grief or loss. What, uh, advice do you have for them when they are desperately seeking those little tiny, tiny, you know, morsels of, of hope? Yeah. I think the first thing to attend to is the body. That was a real big surprise to me in, in grief was like how somatic it was. Mm. And that's why I think like, If you know someone who has experienced loss recently, like, please take them a casserole, please, like, just please just deliver food to them because it's the body I find that is like experiencing this shock. And I, so I think first of all, like attend to your body and do things that are really grounding and nourishing and calming for the body. And then in terms of hope, I think if you've lost a loved one, Something that really gave me a lot of hope was um, this book called Signs. Have you read that, George? No. I heard it on the Goop podcast. <laughs> yes. Nice. I love Gwyneth Paltrow. Unashamedly. <laughs> I think she's great. Um, I, I heard this woman, she's, she's psychic. And the episode, I think, was like called Are We All Psychic? And she basically talked about signs from loved ones who have passed on and how we need to sort of give our loved ones who've passed on a language to communicate with us in. And that I listened to that episode like a few months before my brother died. And I got to tell you that that was like, it continues to be one of 
the most hopeful or one of the most powerful sources of hope was, was asking for signs from my brother and then looking for them. And it's become this practice of staying connected to him that has not only helped me feel like his, like I still have his presence with me. Um, and now I'm doing it with my dad because I just lost him recently, but also, um, to feel like you can tap into that person's like their courage and their energy and all of the like beauty or magic that they brought to the world. And it doesn't bring them back. Right. It does not a replacement for them, but for me, it feels damn good to feel like I'm still in relationship with some of their magic. It's so visceral that feeling when you feel like you've made that connection that's really beautiful. Can I ask you what some of the signs were for you with your brother? Yeah, of course. Feathers are Pete's sign. And um, I've had just like so many incredible experiences with feathers. Like it's not just, uh, you know, picking up feathers. It's been like people um, just like profound experiences of someone approaching me. I had one experience where this woman approached me um, I was with my kids and we were up at this cute little lighthouse, um, just up sort of on the South end of the gold coast. And I was trying to take a photo of my kids and they were you know, trying to get three kids to be still is impossible for a photo. So I'm standing there and this beautiful Aboriginal woman comes up to me and she's smiling and kind of laughing with me about the kids. And she points to Isla and who's my middle daughter and said, she's the feather collector. And I kind of looked at her like, say what? And she said, she's the one that brings you the feathers. And it's true. Like Isla was always the one that was like, mommy, here's a feather from uncle Pete. Here's a feather from uncle Pete. And so I looked at her and I just started crying and I said, yeah, they're from my brother. And she said, he's here. He's standing right behind you. He's a big man. You know, he starts talking about my brother and we have this incredible conversation and we're hugging and crying. And it was just, she was, it was this like very beautiful experience. And so, you know, we part ways after, you know, this lovely exchange. And then she, she, we crossed paths again as we were kind of walking down the hill and she gave me and each of the three kids an emu feather, which was her sort of totem animal. And so she had them on like her, like clip to her keeper keepers on her sunglasses. Where did she get emu feathers from? (laughs) They would just, it was just one of those things where you're like, you just can't make it up right? Like I, you just can't make it up. I think sometimes, you know, people hear about, oh, I'm asked for signs for my brother and I get feathers and they're like, that's cute. But I'm like, then you have an experience like this where someone is like coming up to you and, um, just out of the blue connecting with, with you and, and being almost a sort of conduit for that person. And, um, that was just one of the most beautiful experiences um, for me. And it, what's interesting about things like that happening is that I found it doesn't just connect you to the loved one who's passed on. It connects you to like other people who are still here. So that woman and I had this like incredible, it was, I think it was meaningful for both of us, you know, she, and my brother brought us together. Yes. So this is, you know, and like, this is what's available to you all the time is like a magic with other humans. If you just put your fucking phone, oop, am I allowed to cuss? You put your phone down. <laughs> I'll just flag it with Apple before I post. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but you know, it's like, put the phone down when you're standing in line somewhere or when you're on the walk or whatever, and like pay attention because those, the connection with, with real humans right here and the connection with loved ones who have passed on, it's always all around us, but if we're not open to it, then we're, we're always going to miss those moments. So yeah, I think, I think that book is definitely worth a read if, if, if any of that sort of rings true for you. And I think it can also help others. So what I noticed also is that other people in my family then adopted that sign. So now I get text messages from friends and, and family and friends of my brothers who now are like feather spotters and send me, they send me photos of the feathers they've found or the hawk that's, you know, been circling their house or things like that. And so it also becomes a way of like continuing to keep that person alive in your memory. Because I think one of the things I've noticed is that like, I love being able to talk about my brother. And so often people don't want, they don't know if they should bring it up or, you know, people don't know how to handle grief in our culture. So they kind of avoid it. And the reality is that like, people want to talk about their loved ones. They want to keep their memory alive. Yeah. So it becomes also a language that we can all use to continue to talk about them. Absolutely. And I think it's also important, like with your kids who were so young when Pete died, that Uncle Pete is still a part of their memory bank. A hundred percent. And the only way to do that is to keep him in conversation. Absolutely. And they, they love it. Like they still, they love it. You know, they, um, and they even asked me when my dad died, they said, what, what's her sign from Papa going to be? That was like one of their first questions. Well, that was was my next question. Have you you got a sign? Eagles. So yeah, as my dad was passing away, these two eagles just kept circling the house like huge e- I was in America so they're like huge bald eagles um and then um there's a couple of other ones but like it's I guess for me a lot of the signs tend to be in nature because you know from and nature I think is maybe a source of inspiration that I failed to mention in an earlier question is I think just like being in connection with the natural world is probably like the ultimate a source of inspiration. Right. And when I think about all of the writers that I named that I love to read about, like they're all drawing inspiration from the natural world. So it's, yeah, for me, that's a big through line, I suppose, with all of that. Let's talk about the hope dealer. First of all, for people who are unaware, it will comes out the week this podcast comes out. So what, what, what is the book first of all? And then I want to know what the inspiration was behind it. So the book is, a it's 101 soulful daily musings so the idea is basically to help you get a hit of inspiration for your day so it's 101 messages and you can essentially use it almost like you would a tarot deck where you can kind of just flip open to a page that um, at random and get a message for your day or if you have a question in your heart or something specific that you would like to you know, receive some guidance on, you can hold that intention in your heart and then open to a page or run your, run your thumb across the page and let it sort of land where it will. Um, and that's, I want it to be, I'd really designed it with the intention of it being an interactive tool. And um, all of the messages really are around 
setting fire to limiting beliefs. And so, I mean, perfectionism, self-doubt, fear of failure, and reconnecting with self-trust and integrity and courage and resilience, all of the things we've just been talking about, basically compassion and confidence, because I think that so many of us suffer from so many of the same limiting beliefs and really the um, guidance that many of us need is similar. You know, it's, it's, we're not all the same, but I think that these themes come up for a lot of people and being able to reframe what we think of as being limitations or negative experiences is a way of alchemizing our experiences into something really positive. That's what it's about. Just casually, just just (laughs) casually about being your best self. It's really beautiful. Um, and also, I mean, Caitlin is a writer. So, you know, you open up to a page, you get a beautiful little ditty, little sort of um piece of hopeful, what would what do you call it? Amusing. Amu amusing, not funny. Not amusing. <laughs> amusing. Um, but then there's a beautiful sort of explanation of it and exploring it deeper. Yeah, yeah. So each one has sort of like a little message, like a little kind of quote, and then um a mini little piece of prose that yeah dives a little bit deeper into what that message is I've just pulled um the page more pleasure more treasure yeah that's great so good yeah I I think that it's funny because um someone asked me like what which of the messages is sort of like resonating most with me for sort of as we are approaching the threshold of a new year. And that was definitely one that came to mind for me. Sometimes we think like pain is our only teacher. And I mean, it's really relevant because just everything we just talked about was about like hard things and turning hard things into good things. I I could not agree with you more. I was only thinking about it this week. I've had, I've done a few natal chart readings this week where people are literally going through their second, third, fourth dark night of the soul in, you know, as many years. Um, And the way to comfort people through that is Mm. to, you know, look for meaning and, um, you know, what were the lessons and we grow and our expansion comes from these places, but wouldn't it just be so nice? And yes, it is absolutely possible to get teachings from play and joy and yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. You know, I think pleasure is, um, I think in that piece, I say something like um, pain teaches us how to survive and pleasure teaches us how to thrive. Mm. And I think pleasure can help reconnect us. First of all, when you're in pleasure, you're fully present. Right. When you think about something that brings you like really true pleasure, you're fully in it. So just take the example of like, you know, reading a book like that for me, that's, I I love it. You know, you and I are the same, George, we both baby little bookworms. So it's like, that's a fully immersive experience, right. Um, Where you aren't anywhere else than there. And that's, I think such one, one of the, often forgotten gifts of pleasure because on the other hand with pain you know we're either our relationship with pain is either forecasting 
and trying to avoid future pain or yeah. referring back to past pain. Uh, or, or trying to escape the present pain in some respect. I mean, exactly. if you think about something like, you know, like the, the epitome of pleasure, let's say orgasm, yep. you you are so in the moment physically, energetically, emotionally, psychologically, you're right there. Yeah. And it's ex- it's expansive. Like orgasm is a great example because that I think is a very visceral experience that most people have had an orgasm, I hope. And you, when you get that full release and that full sense of expansion, and that's what pleasure offers us is this idea of like letting go of all the holding and the tension and the, you know, reflection about the past and the, you know, worry about the future and being fully as you are. And that is, it's just such a gift. It's such a gift because when you are unguarded and when you are in that expansive state, I think you are like just so juicy and magnetic, right? And and that's when, when you're in that place, that's when you're able to just like best share your gifts with the world. Yeah. Right? From that uninhibited place. And I think that that's, the pleasure has so much to teach us. I mean, we could spend an entire hour just talking about pleasure, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just such an overlooked thing. And I, as far as like, okay, well, like, how do I bring more pleasure into my day? Like, first of all, you need to give yourself permission because so many people, I think actually need a permission slip for pleasure because they think they need to earn it. Mm. You don't need to earn it. You just need to make space for it in your life because you deserve pleasure. And I really think that that's one of the best things about being human. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about it's part of my human design as a projector to really incorporate, well, not just incorporate, but have more play in my day as a constant. And I am just terrible at play. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really bad at it. What do mm-hmm. you do to incorporate play into your life? I mean, you have um, kids, so it's a bit easier. Yeah. yeah, I have kids. So, and I am kind of like a goofball with them. So um, there's lots of like, I guess, opportunities with kids to be playful. Um, but for me, I guess like ways that I, like, I love doing like jigsaw puzzles. I just like love them. They're so, I mean, what is the point of that? There's no point. And I think that's always kind of a good (laughs) indicator with play is like, is there a purpose to this? Like beyond just doing it for the fun of it. I think that's great. Um, I, you know, I do love like, like literal play, like board games Mm. uh, or charades or things like that. And my mom's family are all like really big into like card games and things. So that I think is, that's something I'm super excited about with the holidays. It's just like having, playing games with family, but other, like an interesting one that, that I've been sort of like toying with lately is like gardening. I don't oh, know yeah. if it's like happens that's when you turn play. 40 that suddenly you become like interested in gardening. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you happen to have a very nice garden. <laughs> thank you. It is so beautiful. Um, very, we're very lucky, but I have, so I decided I joined this thing called the diggers club, which if you're interested in growing like veggies or flowers or anything, I highly recommend it. It's so cool. And they have so much amazing 
information available. And so basically you just pay this like annual fee to join and then you get like discounts on seeds. So yes, I am now a lady who like looks at seed catalogs and I love it. But I decided I was going to grow my veggie patch from seed this year, which I've never done before. And, you know, I'd always go like tootle down to the nursery and like buy, you know, $200 worth of seedlings and then like pat, pat myself on the back. Like <laughs> this is like so much more satisfying because, um, you know, a seed packet costs you like anywhere between like what, two and $5. And yeah like my veggie patch is going off. And so that has been just this like really fun thing to do where the stakes are really low. If I mess it up, it's like $3 of seeds, not sort of not the end of the world. But what I've learned with it is like, and, and maybe this is sort of how play is actually a practice is there were some things that I really just like had no luck with, right? Like things that just didn't, they didn't germinate. I don't know why. I don't know what I did wrong. And so you get used to this sort of like, oh, okay, that didn't work. And you, your tolerance for like what you would otherwise deem as failure just becomes like part of the game. Yeah. So it's like when you can do something that's low stakes like that, it becomes, I don't know, it just brings on this, like you take the pressure off and it just becomes this sort of like fun hobby. Like, I think we should all have hobbies. I think we're all so conditioned into like you should turn your hobby into a side hustle yeah yeah absolutely I mean that's another thing that I talk to my girlfriends about a lot I feel like men tend to have lots of hobbies and that's okay Mm -hmm. and and I'm general I'm generalizing here I'm sorry if you have lots of hobbies but a lot of my girlfriends don't have hobbies and if they do they have turned it into a career um yeah you're you're so spot on there Mm. So I think sometimes like letting yourself just like have do something for again the pleasure of it is like super liberating. Yeah. It's just taking it's I think for I think it's it really links back to this whole thing about like productivity and perfectionism. That's what this always circles back to, I think, in terms of whether it's like not being able to rest, not being able to have more pleasure in your life, not being able to be more feel more playful. Mm. Um we have been conditioned to believe that we need to earn all of those things. Yeah. That's so achievement. True. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. Rewarding out, rewarding ourselves with a pleasure only after we've achieved something. Exactly. And I think that the thing that's important to remember about that is exactly the advice that was given in that book, stolen focus, where like, if, if it's hard for you, it's not your fault because you've been, culturally conditioned to feel that way Mm. so it's not a personal failing it's a cultural failing that so many of us feel that way yeah absolutely all right Caitlin if people want to learn more about you and the work that you do where's the best place to find out more um, you can visit my website. Thank you. CaitlinKatie.com or you can find me on Instagram at CaitlinKatie and my app is called Heavily Meditated. Oh yeah. Let's, t- let's talk about the app. Oh, okay. Um, so Heavily Meditated was also the name of your first book, which was a book about meditation. Yep. And off the back of that came a meditation app called Heavily Meditated. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about it? Yeah. So thank you. So it's, it's a, um, beautiful app that is available on Apple and Android. 
And it's basically has everything that you need from a meditation app. So it has a library of different guided meditations and you can search by time or technique or vibe. So if you want to wake up and have an idea about how you want to feel for the day, you can look through the different vibe categories to find something that's going to sort of deliver you into the, into the flavor or emotion or feeling that you want to have for the day. And um, there's also a tracker and an intention setting tool, and you can get a reminder of your intention at any time of day. You just set yourself a little notification, which is, I really love. I think it's so important to not just, you know, it's so great to start your day with a little bit of positive vibes, but it's really important to be able to check in with, with that intention later in the day and, and um, drop back into it. Um, and then there's also an inspiration deck, which is kind of inspired by um, the Hope Dealer book. So you can shake or shuffle the virtual cards in the app and get a little inspiring message for your day. So it really has everything that you need. I designed it because I wanted to create what I wish existed in the world when I was learning how to meditate. And so it is a perfect either standalone app or companion to the heavily meditated book. And you'll also find... Um, a suite of companion practices for the hope dealer. So when you get your copy of the book, there's a link inside the book that you can go to on the website that will take you to some book bonus material. And, you know, I'm really big on not just positive perspectives, but also offering practical tools so that you can integrate those perspectives into your life in a meaningful way. So I've created a uh, you know, walking guided meditation where you go for a walk with your future self, really embody your future self. There's a meditation for alchemizing self-doubt. Um, there's a yoga nidra practice for deep rest. So there's sort of all of the themes that we talk about in the book are um, available as practices in the app as well. Beautiful. And once again, the app itself is very aesthetically pleasing. Thank you, lady. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So if that's your jam, then you're definitely going to love the Heavily Meditated app. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me on Luna Lover today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me, George. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 